Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology, consulting, and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Today, we will talk about techniques and strategies to best position a business in a new and rapidly growing sector. Have you ever played Call of Duty or League of Legends, Mario Kart, FIFA, Super Smash Brothers, or Rocket League? Maybe you've even competed in an online championship. According to various reports, the global gaming market will reach over $115 billion by 2019. In 2017, mobile gaming apps accounted for more than 80% of all app revenue from Apple's iOS App Store. Riot Games, maker of League of Legends, held its 2017 World Championship in China. It was the most watched esports event with over 80 million people tuning in to watch the semifinals. In fact, Riot Games won the first sports Emmy given to an esports company for the design of the 2017 World Championships broadcast. The growth of the esports industry have created opportunities for a whole new and emerging class of gamers. Today we'll talk about the growing e-gaming and esports industry and specifically hear from one entrepreneur using this global phenomenon to encourage interest in STEM fields, bring together communities and families, and give young gamers access to interesting career fields they may not have considered, and thus pipelining talent into the gaming industry. And we are so honored to have two amazing guests today, both of whom we understand it's their first time on a podcast, so we're very, very excited about that. Kerwin Rent is CEO of Elite Gaming Live, a STEM platform that recognizes and rewards students that are passionate about video games and technology. Elite Gaming Live educates participating students on potential careers in video game design and related technological areas, including, but not limited to, coding, computer programming, and web development. Elite Gaming Live provides students an outlet to play video games competitively in their school and be rewarded for their accomplishments, similar to how a traditional athlete is recognized and rewarded. Prior to launching the EGL of today, Kerwin organized and hosted general public gaming tournaments partnering with food chains like Buffalo Wild Wings and Hotbox Pizza. With his strong background working in technology-related fields, he saw the growing number of unfilled positions related to tech. He then set out to create a platform that fused esports with talent pipelining, eGaming Live. And to date, Kerwin has received grants, angel funding, and best of all, has over 20 schools and 3,000 students on his platform. This is just the beginning. 
Kerwin, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Gayatri Sarkar is a general partner at SportVest, a blockchain-based sports venture fund that invests in innovative sports startups, building future of sports, and creating the sports market of the future. After studying physics in undergrad, Gayatri's career journey provided an opportunity to experience multiple industries, working as manager at Federal Reserve Bank, Treasury, Goldman Sachs, IBM, HP, and EU Bank. She spent 12 years in the fintech space. She also has expertise in venture capital, fundraising, deal flow, strategy management, product development, and big data. Gaitri also serves on the board of multiple blockchain and non-blockchain companies. She serves as a mentor at multiple accelerators and advisor for blockchain companies. And she is a writer at Hacker Noon and other blockchain-focused publications. Gaitri, welcome. Glad to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be a part of this. We're excited to have you. Well, Kermit, Kerwin, there's so much to discuss. We gave a brief introduction of your background and mission of Elite Gaming Live, but now we want to hear more about the details of the business and kind of your vision. Could you share some of that with us? Sure, definitely. Um, so just to start off, just going over how the reasoning why I started EGL, um, I actually played traditional sports, uh, and I also had a, a huge love for gaming. I had two different groups of friends, and as I grew older, I saw the differences in, in their confidence, their self-esteem, and some of the really important um, soft skills that, that I never had an issue with playing traditional sports. So I originally started Elite Gaming Live to kind of close that gap from a social perspective. And actually working with schools early on in the pilot phase, I learned how how much the competition aspect and, and that sort of thing was important to the schools and the students and parents as well. So just to give background on why I started it, um, big vision for EGL is to eventually have a national platform where there are tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of students that are going through our program, playing competitively, getting those social uh, interactions with with uh, kids that they've they've never really been friends with, um, disabled kids, um, autistic kids, just a, a wide gamut of kids, but then also allowing companies that are interested in students that are that are actually passionate about STEM to reach down and introduce them to their companies and um, put their put their brands in front of them so that they can pipeline some of that talent because a lot of this talent is not being appropriated in these companies. They're there's a lot of positions that are unfilled. So it's big vision is a national platform, competition and pipelining and education. So everyone kind of gets gets what they're looking for out of the platform. Kerwin, let me jump in there for just a minute. How did all of this occur to you? I, I want the origin story. I mean, this is just so brilliant, kind of putting all of these pieces together. How did this come about? Sure. So... So as I said, just having two completely different groups of friends, one rambunctious, very, very confident, um, very popular, being in that space and then and then not engaging my video game friends with those those other friends, I could see stark differences. And I mean the friendship internally was the same either way for me. I mean, I love my friends that play traditional sports as the same as I love my friends that I've traded Pokemon cards with. <laughs> 
but I saw I saw so many differences in how they were supported, even in their in their homes by their parents, um, their, their schools, the communities. The, the support gap was just so so large that that's that's how this came about. I wanted them to have the same self esteem I did and the same confidence that I did, um, and they didn't have that initially. But did so. you also put that together with pipelining pipelining talent early on, or is that something that came later? Oh, that's yeah, that's something that actually came later. So my vision was just was primarily social impact, and after working with these schools, um, they actually brought ideas to me to better the program and to increase the value proposition for schools and parents. I was all about the kids, and it kind of slanted. And that's the part of the beauty of EGL. The majority of the platform at this point was crafted by by the school partners that we work with. Um, the only part that they didn't contribute directly to was, you know, the gaming and competition, but everything else, every other aspect, how we communicate with parents, um, with STEM-related uh, newsletters, things like that, these were all ideas that came directly from school leaders. Uh, yeah, okay, so that's really interesting because I think putting together the gaming with the STEM pipelining, getting that mentorship, all of that kind of recognition of some of those technical skills is so interesting. So tell us a little bit more, and I know mm-hmm. I, I covered some of it in the intro, but tell us a little bit more of your accomplishments to date, because what you've done so far with just building the platform has been really, really impressive. Sure. Uh, so, so far, we actually, we've partnered with over 20 um, educational institutions. Uh, we're really at about 25 now, as we partner with some uh, community organizations as well here in the DMD. Uh, we've had we have over 3,000 participants on our platform. Um, over four fifths of those participants have participated um, in at least 75% of our engagements at their schools or at their facilities. So our our repeat engagement is extremely high. So our product is kind of speaking to that. Uh, we've also we've also been featured in some of the largest uh, media media publications online for the for the program, like Polygon. Um, where I'm from, Indianapolis, we've been featured in the Indianapolis Star years back toward the beginning of, of the program. Um, we've gotten really great reception at our at our regional championships from parents and schools. Um, they're growing. Um, every time we have a regional championship, the, the crowd is getting larger. I mean, it's, it's really fun. So we've gotten good recognition. Um, our, our community is growing pretty quickly. And, yeah. We've been we've been featured and, and we're growing at a steady pace. Carwin, this is Vina. Um, I understand, and you mentioned earlier that you have been featured in a lot of your hometown papers in um, in mm-hmm. Indiana. Um, why has Indiana featured you? I know you're the hometown hero, but have you held any competitions there? Is this where you started? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Indianapolis is actually where I started. I, I actually pitched. Um, the first idea of, of the program to my alma mater high school, they were slower to pick it up, but I actually got some schools from Indianapolis to join the, the first pilot ever. So, yeah, that's where it started, um, and that's where it's grown for the last four years up until I, I came to the DMV last year to pilot it here as well. 
Kerwin, do the are the championships are they uh, during school? Or are they during the summer? Um, how many do you have a year? Can you c- kind of talk about how that's structured? Oh, absolutely. So, so EGL is just like a traditional sport. We try to keep it as parallel as possible because most adults don't really understand the concept at this point. And they're they're getting it faster and faster, but the learning curve is still there for for people that are outside this industry, but. A school joins the program, they get a season schedule, and on that season schedule, there's a series of exhibitions that happen inside of the school, and we take the top players and learners over a semester, and we invite them to a regional championship still within a school, not their own, typically, because we have one where all the top kids come to the same school, but we invite all the top kids to a regional championship, and those actually happen once per semester, so in December and May. But the exhibitions at every school happen all school year. I mean, we're, we've actually held over 300 events in Indianapolis up to date. Um, so those are, those are constant where we're just, we're just looking for the top kids at, at the school. It's almost like the track team uh, or like a track program where certain kids are invited to state um, and certain, certain kids are not invited to state, but it's based on their performance throughout the season. Karen, this is Zena again. Um, your model requires you to work with students, which you just really described, and a little bit about the mm-hmm. school. Can you dig a little bit deeper of how all this is interconnected, the students, the schools, and the parents? Can you just really share that model with us so that we are able to completely understand how this works? Sure. So so think of, think of a traditional sport like basketball. So a student goes to school, and they try out for the basketball team, and if they make the team – from that point on, the school the school is a leader on that in that program. The parent is actually involved because they have to bring their student to practice. They have to make sure their student is, is mentally prepared uh, for the games and on time to, to games and things like that. And so you've got you've got this ecosystem of, of the school, the parent, and the student working together to put out this product on a basketball court. It's it's the same concept for EGL. So a school brings the program in, the school assigns a coach to the program, and then you have you have a, a call out for interested kids. Um, then the kids start showing up to the exhibitions. The parents actually are informed throughout the season, so they know what's going on. They know when, when they can actually get involved. They also know when the regionals um, are happening, and that's when it all comes together. And as far as the learning is concerned, there's a point system that we built where we take – the gaming statistics and the learning statistics, and we build them into the score per student. And that score determines if they qualify for regional championships. So it's all happening in sync together. And it's, again, just like a traditional sport where it's, it's organic. We're not, we're not forcing the, these, these relationships and these uh, handshakes between schools, parents, and the kids. It, it just happens just like a traditional sport. Everyone's actually invested emotionally and, and in other ways too because everyone competition is fun and, and the learning is, is great for the kids in the schools as well. But there's another piece in there, right? It's not just that people come together and play video games. You're actually requiring them to do certain additional um, learning mm-hmm. like you talked about. Tell us a little bit more about that, that piece. Sure. So, so just, to, just to clarify, there is no requirement we allow the schools to determine if it's a requirement or not. 
we just bring the program in and say, hey, this is this is your playground, and this is the core part of the program that that needs to stay consistent at every school. But it's up to you guys as a school to determine if you want to provide academic standards or behavioral standards on participation and things like that. So they kind of customize it for their building when we come in. Um, but the learning aspect is it's really organic. So only a certain amount of kids are going to make it and qualify to go to a championship just on gaming alone. Um, but they need as many of these points as possible. So when students start lagging behind on the leaderboard, when they when they don't have a great exhibition where they may they may lose in the bracket early, they organically start doing the the um, STEM modules because they need more of those points. And then they find out, hey, I actually like 3D animation a lot. I'm going to go through all of the lessons in this. And then they become interested in 3D animation outside of gaming or or programming or uh, coding, HTML, CSS, things like that. So. Again, this isn't something the EGL forces because we know some of this stuff is really difficult for kids. Like coding is not easy. So we let them find their own way into it. And once we see what they're putting their time into, then we engage them one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, we see you We see you spent a lot of time doing the programming modules. What do you like about it? And then the kids give us feedback and, and we present that data and information to school leaders. So what are the STEM modules? You haven't told us about those yet. I mean, you just, you've kind of referred to them, you know, kind of going mm -hmm. through, but what are they? So you said one of them would be um, coding, for example. What, what are the different options that, that the participants can learn about? Sure. So, there's a, so it's an educational platform that we built out in our system. And it's a smorgasbord of careers related to technology. Mm -hmm. So if I went down the list, I mean, it'd be a pretty, it'd be a pretty long list. We're up to 13 or 14 modules at this point, but each module centers around a career that's related to technology, STEM, uh, or game development. So programming is a good example. Um, so if a student is is not gaming in one of the exhibitions, they click on programming. They're going to learn three key things about programming. What is it in relation to how old they are? Uh, we, we try to ground it to the point where we, we get them interested. Um, the next phase is what education do I need to pursue it? Like how do I get into this if, if I like it? And then the last phase is what can I look forward to if I go, if I actually pursue this and go forward into college with this interest? Like what kind of projects or what kind of roles would I look forward to in the real world and we relate all this for for a student, so that so that it doesn't it doesn't go over their head or it it doesn't kind of distract them from from what it is at their age. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and Carwin, do you have mm -hmm. instructional designers and, and other individuals who help you develop this curriculum out? Um, or how does your how is how big yeah. is your team and how does that work? Sure. So I actually developed the first wave of the curriculum, but we've actually partnered with um, college institutions to build out our the next phases of our curriculum. So right now we're working with Indiana Indiana University professors, um, and they're building out the next phase of our curriculum. They're in the informatics and technology departments there, and so it's coming it's coming out of EGL proper, like our staff, and now we're having real professors build out this uh, this curriculum. 
so for all of the lesson sets. So they're teaching these classes to college students, mm -hmm. and they've got experience teaching and talking to the kids at younger ages. So we thought it would be really awesome to kind of bring that type of knowledge in the curriculum space into our platform. So we're we're actually on our phase two of the curriculum, and we're we're super excited about it. And they're excited too because some of these professors they they want to get kids excited about this stuff because it's not not easy work so the sooner you can engage kids in in these stem fields and stem uh, related careers the better yeah I, I i applaud you for all all of your efforts um i supported uh, and was a, a judge for uh, first robotics so the for inspiration and recognition of science and technology which has kind of a similar um, model to yours but what i love about what you're doing as first focuses on robotics you're really focusing on programming and, and the skill sets that are needed for the jobs of today and the jobs of tomorrow. So I'm glad that you're starting super early um, and, and piquing the interest of, of young kids, and hopefully you know, they'll continue down this path or at least not be afraid of getting into a STEM field because they've learned you know, mm -hmm. doing day-to-day -day actions. So, and that's that's exactly what we're trying to do. That yep. that's great. So let let's you know we've seen a lot of growth in the e gaming and esports industry, and it's it's really changing rapidly, as you kind of mentioned. And really, um, you know, you've got all types of ages uh, participating in this industry, and they're actually official networks of programmers. We talked about tournaments, their leagues, their real teams, their sponsors, almost like any other sporting event, as you mentioned. So you've also created your tournament style. Um, in the approach, can you talk about some of the results you've seen as a result of the students going through the, the championships? You kind of alluded to a little earlier when some students may not be making, you know, they might not be going the championship, um, and so they start taking the modules. What other results have you seen? Sure. Um, so, so at some schools, and again, this is up to the schools, but there's a there's a small chunk of our schools that require students to maintain a certain GPA. Um, there's a, there's schools that require students to have a certain behavioral standards for them to participate, and we've I mean we've seen marked improvements in attendance at schools when they when they apply these standards. We've seen grades increase from sets of sets of students. We've got teachers on record explaining how uh, when they when they put EGL in front of their kids, that's that a lot of the kids that they they were struggling to engage with. Started to started to actually have different attitudes because they wanted to participate. Um, so we've we've definitely seen stark differences in behavioral in classroom academics. Uh, we've heard from parents where kids are kids are more excited to go to school because they have an EGL event coming up um, in a week or so. And I mean, these are the things that we're seeing from from some of the individuals in our community. And it's I mean, it's awesome. And from a from an event standpoint, uh, we at our regionals we have hundreds of parents come to the event because we award cash mm -hmm. and different prizes, and we don't award that stuff to kids unless they're accompanied by a parent or guardian. So we had you know waves of parents going in, and we get we get really in depth with them on how this is impacting their kids, and we've gotten nothing but positive results. Um, from, from dozens and dozens and dozens of parents through interviews, through feedback surveys. I mean, it's it's really incredible uh, the the impact that they're telling us they're seeing in, in the kids. 
if that answers your question. That does, and I kind of want to drill into um, one area because obviously to host one of these events or championships takes a lot of um, a lot of individuals, and you talked about kind of how you've increased your value proposition for your customers in the schools, uh, and you talked about some mm-hmm. of the partnerships that you have. I'm curious how the process has been identifying sponsors for the events. Uh, if you can walk us through mm-hmm. um, how that's looked for you, maybe once you started and not where you are now. Yeah, so I would say within the last eight to 12 months is when we got our very first official sponsor and we've kept them on. So we've had Sony at multiple regional championships up to this point. Uh, Verizon's actually been a sponsor at a regional EGL championship. And we've also had some some local startups um, that have sponsored EGL championships as well that kind of educate kids. One is called Gamer Trainer. It's an awesome program um, that teaches kids how to be better at playing the games from a competition standpoint. Um, so they actually were sponsored at our, at our most recent EGL championship as well. But, I mean, as this continues to grow, there's there's so many brands and companies that want to get into this space, but they don't really know how. But they're definitely going to find their way in because there's so much potential and there's so many things popping up all over the all over the world. Actually, not just not just the U.S. where these brands want to attach themselves to this to this rapidly growing um, market and industry. And so what are the brands? What are the brands getting out of this that they attach themselves? Is there any type type of report mechanism for from mm-hmm. you know from you? What are they getting out of this um, if they decide to invest in your uh, product? Sure. So it's different for for every company. So like a company like Microsoft, I would assume that they they could go at something like this in ten different angles. Um, they have a they have a gaming division, so this would be an opportunity for Microsoft to to put their products in front of more kids and to to kind of showcase some of the things that maybe haven't been released before. Um, if you're an educational company, um, they could bring they could come in and they could put their product in front of the kids or even parents. I mean, right now a lot of parents are are trying to learn how to code and program because they see what's happening all over the country and world. So. There's tons of products online that that are looking for these parents that are interested in in furthering their education. So uh, it's just different for every company. I mean, you could be a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola. You got or you got a new product that you want to drink that you want to put in front of, of like this audience. I mean, it's literally consumers and families of all sorts. I mean, every type of consumer is a part of this audience in one way or another. So you could, so as a company, you can kind of pick and choose, you know, how you want to present yourself or your product. And, and yeah, so from our perspective, we're just saying, hey, we're bringing together X amount of families and this is, these are our demographics. And this is, this is why they're so passionate and excited about our, our platform. And we're inviting you to, to find your niche in this space. And what what could you put in front of them to to add value to them? Because that's what we're trying to do as well. We want when parents come to these events. I mean, they're there for for a while, and we want to put stuff in front of them to keep them engaged and to also bring value to them. Kerwin, let's talk about a, a little bit about messaging and and operationalizing your business. I think I, I know that when we started talking to you, this whole industry was very new to me. 
right? I didn't realize that there mm-hmm. were websites that existed for esports live and that people were tracking these competitions and there's even fantasy esports leagues and I mean and people are betting and gambling on it. I mean this is a this is big business, right? This is I mean it's a very new industry but it's also growing quite rapidly. And I know like as you were kind of prepping for the show with us I went through my own educational process just learning about this. And and you've got this really strong mm-hmm. business model. You've got a lot of traction. How are you working with accelerators and, uh, and others in this messaging and marketing space, right? Because obviously folks like Microsoft or Sony, they see the sales on their sales side. They know that there's big dollars there. How are you talking about mm-hmm. it to other people that might not understand how large this industry really is and what's going on here? Yeah, so that's actually one of the that's one of the challenges that that I would say companies like mine and competitors are probably going to face for the foreseeable future because the majority, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the majority of people are not in this space. I mean, they do know what video games are because you know the average gamer is mid thirties, so they had a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo, so they know what video games are, but and they but they also know what traditional sports are. But they're not there's at this point it's not like a widespread of them putting that together and understanding this esports concept. Um, but it, it's a difficult or it's I wouldn't say difficult, but it's a challenging discussion to have because there is a learning curve. When to bring someone into the fold and say, This is why this is so exciting, this is why it's growing so much, this is why the market is just going crazy right now because because of X, Y, and Z. But it's very exciting, and usually you find people, when they have questions, they once they start, once it starts clicking, they get even more excited because they start understanding how how big this market is and, and, and the type of opportunity that's out there. But, yeah, it's definitely a challenging um, discussion to kind of educate someone on, on what esports is. Like, it's a thing. It's not like... It's, it could be a whole lot of different things. Esports isn't like something one company can own. It's it's a concept or it's an idea more than anything else. Yeah, and this is Christina. And so it's interesting, as Aurelia mentioned, when we had our pre-discussions, you know, I, two, two parts for me. I'm a parent of kids who love Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite, although we try <laughs> and not let them play Fortnite as much. <laughs> um, but then I'm also in, in the tech field and also looking at how to bring more adults actually into the tech field. So uh, it's a very interesting point of view. And so, um, Gaitri, I want to bring you in on this conversation. Uh, and you know, can you, for our listeners, give an overview of the eSports and eGaming market? First, what's the difference between the two? And then second, what are kind of the top two or three insights our listeners should know about the industry? Yeah, thank you. Um, first, I would like to congratulate Corwin, um, working on a great business model. I hear pitches every day, and I think the social innovation angle that he's bringing in esports is something unheard of. And I would like mm-hmm. to congratulate you on that. I think um, great opportunity lying ahead for you. I think Thanks talking so about welcome uh, talking about esports and e gambling. When you look into the market, so e, I mean e gaming is a part of esports. And if you look at it, like competitive video gaming roots can be traced back to 1980s, 
when Atari staged the inaugural Space Invaders Championship in U.S. and that attracted like huge number of people. And now esports is almost a multi-million-dollar global industry with professional athletes. They are idolized by fans, just like sports superstars like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, in sellout arenas. And this is a whole new business model that we are seeing nowadays. I think one of the most popular games, like League of Legends or something like that, they attracted like huge number of players. Like I think more than 27 million. Um, daily players, and while other online gamers like StarCraft and others, they are drawing millions of players around the clock. So I think what we need to understand here is that there's a major shift, that there was a video gaming that people used to play in their living room, and now shifting from their legacy system of desktop and playing on the consoles, we are now more focused on the cell phones, you know, Pokemon, Angry Birds. And I think with the competitions and tournaments became far more professional, it began to attract spectators and viewers and saw game developers include features that is conducive to such competitions in new games. So today, not only is video gaming a networking activity, which has also become like a regularly scheduled profit-generating pastime in the form of esports. And there are some people who are professional athletes in esports. So it's more like an organized multiplayer gaming event, mostly between professional players and series of tournaments that culminate in championships at regional and global level. So I think that this, this is a huge phenomenon surrounding esports and the market of esports in 2016, it has been close to $492, $493 million. And I think by 2020, it will be almost the revenue will be $1.67 billion. And this is a huge market that we are talking about right now. And these revenues came largely from betting, prize pools, and tournaments, and overwhelmingly from the sponsorship and advertisement also. I think also there is a factor of regional profitability um, in this data. We see Asia has been a huge market for this, um, followed by North America. So, and there is also a shift in demography and stuff like that. Like, you know, a lot of female players are coming into the area. We have we used to associate video gaming or esports more with male who are playing in this area, but now more and more females are coming into this space and becoming professional athletes. So, I think this is a very exciting phase. Um, what we are seeing, if you ask me, the top few trends that are coming into this. One is, as I said, moving from the legacy system to the cell phone. It's a huge thing. And then the regulatory policy. I think the more we see um, relaxation in the taxation and the regulatory policy, we will see much more responsible entrepreneurships and startups in the market. And this is also not only from the gaming side and the betting side, but in other areas also. And also the explosion of the social gaming market and the rise of virtual reality casino. I know a lot of people from the fantasy sports sites and other areas, they're trying to work with um, the casinos to see how they can collaborate and bring new opportunities in this market. 
I, th- I think that's great. And I want to highlight a point that you made around <clears throat> seeing more more women, more females in the uh, esports, e-gaming. And I think I saw an infographic uh, a few weeks ago that actually said, and I was shocked by this, 63% of mobile gamers are female. Uh, and, it, and as we think wow. about and we look at, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the conversation around there are not a lot of women in tech or a lot of women in these uh, technical um, uh, opportunities, what we're seeing is that e-gaming and the opportunity for, for females to actually test it out on their cell phone with a game, whether it's Words with Friends or, you know, one of the other League of, League of Legends or all the other games, that it's an opportunity for more women to get involved in technology. So I just wanted to highlight that. Um, and I think also in that uh, infographic, it showed the demographics split across age. And a lot of times we think of gaming for young kids and gambling for adults. Um, but I think 25 to 34-year-olds accounted for about 21% of uh, individuals in the, the mobile gaming industry and 21% also for 65-year-olds and older. And so I thought those were just really good points to bring up uh, during on this conversation. Um, Kerwin, for the demographics of your of the individuals in your program, are you seeing an increase of young girls participating, or are you looking at the demographics numbers at all? Yeah, we actually, we definitely look at the numbers, and over the last two to three years, there's been a slow uptick. Um, I think, I think the the point of the the mobile gaming was was a really important one because that's something that's uh, that's something that's very very easy to get into. The barrier of entry on a cell phone is really non-existent, and I know a lot of a lot of female gamers they don't they don't seem to like the the social interaction with, with, with the guys when it comes to like live play. So they don't really have to deal with that on a mobile device. So I can, I can totally understand how um, the mobile space that, that figure that you, that you put out there. I mean, that's incredible and that's awesome, but it, it does tell a, a, a deeper story of how, of how girls or women in general would rather or may rather um, kind of get into the space without having to have that type of interaction. Um, but yeah, we, we do see a, we do see a slight uptick in, in female participants. I think a couple of years ago we were at less than 10%. We were at like maybe, maybe one out of 10 or slightly less. And now we're looking at about two and a half to three out of, out of 10 at, at, um, at our schools. Some schools it's actually closer to 50, 50. We haven't really correlated that to, to figure why, but, some schools, it's an even 50-50 split usually, but in other schools, it's a, a really male-dominated team. So, um, yeah, there we love when when young young ladies participate. It's awesome. It brings balance, and then we love when they win too. <laughs> so, and they and they definitely win. I, I think it's awesome. I think I see a story angle for you, Kerwin. Is that something we can think about pitching to the press? Um, mm-hmm. about the uptick of women um, participating in these games. Um, Skytree, I have a question for you. Um, there are so many questions we can ask about the industry with the inclusion of gamification in almost every industry and new reward systems being created. E-gaming could impact all of us. 
Today, we want to really dive into the practical ways Kerwin can uh, position Elite Gaming Live to help pipeline gaming developers, testers, designers, and marketers. Let's give you a minute to talk about your thoughts on Elite Gaming Live and what about Kerwin's model um, to resonate. How, how does Kerwin's model resonate with you? What else should he consider? Yeah, I think Kerwin has a great business model, as I said, that he brings the social innovation angle that did not exist as such. In eSports, it was more about how passionate you are um, in video gaming or eSports, and you just want to spend that time and energy and resources in it. But Kerwin brings um, social innovation and STEM, and now we're talking about empowering the girls to code and participate into the system. Um, I came from STEM background, physics and math. I was doing my PhD, and then I moved into the tech world. I think um, this is a very important message, especially music to the ears of your parents. They want their girls to be empowered. They want their girls to get into coding and uh, be as equal as uh, boys out there. So I think the messaging is very important when you are telling to your investors, your sponsors, the storytelling part. And I think um, when Kerwin is delivering this message, if he talks about how uh, big is the market and what percentage of the market size he wants to capture and doing the value proposition accordingly. And he will have multiple sponsors, investors. There will be VCs like me. He will be pitching. There will be um, angel investors. He will be pitching. There will be institutional investors, and then there are sponsors like Sony, Microsoft, or schools where he wants um, to host this event. So I think those value propositions are very, very important, how he wants to um, discuss that, how he wants to put his model across. Um, I always suggest all my entrepreneurs that do a complete research on the guy, um, on the woman to whom you're pitching, their background. Like, I come from a strong fintech background. I'm not a sports expert, but now I'm a sports VC and I'm researching into this area. But if somebody's pitching to me, they need to understand I come from a tech background. I come from a STEM background. So pitching in that area will resonate and the storytelling should need to, like, go accordingly. So that's – you need to, like – have a bonding relationship between you and the investors. And I think that would be great. I think he has that already. And I think um, this will be a op great opportunity for investors to come on board and bring social innovation to eSports. Gayatri, can I ask you, just since, since you brought it up, your own story about how you got into a VC that focuses on sports? I think it might be interesting for our listeners mm -hmm. to kind of understand some of that transition, particularly as we're talking about women in the gaming industry? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so I was an advisor to this particular fund. We are a venture capital fund. Um, and then I decided to become a channel partner um, for an opportunity that came. Um, the reason I moved from FinTech world to a very specialized sports world, I think, is because we are the early entrant in the market. There are a lot of traditional sports venture capital firms that are out there, but we are a sports fund on blockchain, the very first in the world, and we have tokenized our venture capital fund into that model. 
and the idea that everybody can participate in our sports venture fund and any accredited investors can participate and diversify their portfolio between traditional sports, um, uh, amongst traditional sports, uh, e-sports, fantasy sports, or crypto sports, the sports that are doing um, innovation and blockchain. I think that idea kind of fascinated me, and it's always great to get into something where you are an entrant rather than being a part of something where there are multiple incumbents and it can be a struggle to put your value propositions out there. So having said that, I will strongly suggest Kerwin also to have look at strong use cases. When I got into this particular VC fund, I was very intrigued by the use cases that our fund has put together. We have a CTO from ex-Google Research Guy, and um, I come from a STEM background. And for me, you know, I do not play video games, frankly speaking. I grew up playing tennis, and I was one of those girls, like, I was popular, I used to play tennis, I was good in school, and I'm not into playing video games. When I'm at home, either I have to read some physics or math articles, some nerdy stuff. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think how do you balance that together? You know, it's very important. And that we do not learn as such in school. Like, uh, my parents took me to m multiple like, extracurricular activities like public speaking, recitation, and stuff like that. But in school, nobody taught us the soft skill um, that we need to learn because how you, like today, how Kerwin tells his stories is very important to get sponsorships and funds. Uh, so these are the soft skills that are very, very important nowadays. And that's Kerwin's, I think, biggest value proposition that he's bringing through eSports. And, and what I heard you say, too, was the ability to see those gaps in the market and really position mm -hmm. yourself in a smart and um, advantageous way. And I feel like there's some crossover with what Kerwin is doing there too, right? I mean, there isn't anybody that I know of right now that's doing what he's doing and marrying all of those pieces we talked about earlier. It's not just e-gaming, e-sports. It's also this learning the modules of STEM. It's also putting kids into the pipeline for these careers it's also building these mentorship pathways and all of these kinds of things that is just kind of like you talked about the the meeting of sports and blockchain in his case it's the meeting of esports and stem fields and how can we benefit kids who might not otherwise think about that for themselves i completely agree yeah i completely agree i think the way Kerwin has positioned his business model is very unique People want to invest in social innovation. People want that more girls to come into the um, STEM education. We want more quarters, um, girls who can have those soft skills, who can um, boy, even boys also. So I think his value proposition is very, very unique. And uh, though esports market is like filled with many companies, many startups which are working in different areas, different angles, but I have not seen somebody who has such a strong value proposition in giving back to social innovation. Because this space is growing so rapidly and fast, um, and I know people are trying to jump into it, and recently uh, you know, we've learned that someone was able to raise funding without a uh, product. What are, what are your thoughts on this, um, Kerwin? Because your, your, your product is very unique, and it's very, very different. 
And um, do you want to offer your thoughts about how unique your product is compared to this individual who's able to raise money without a product? Oh, sure. Um, so just to just to kind of touch on that, I think first off, I think it's awesome, and I think it's great that that um, there are competitors out there that are raising money with a product or without a product. I think it further legitimizes the entire market. Um, and again, that that's that learning curve and that conversation. It begins to get easier and easier when when these things are happening. So I think that's great. But but yeah, I think having that balance of the competition, also of the learning, also bringing in companies that absolutely need to reach these these kids as early as possible, just having that balance and then bringing in parents. I mean, having all these different audiences engaged and invested, I think that's where the real value is because we can, we can just have something one-to-one competition. That's always gonna be there, I think, I think competition is is like the fabric of America. I mean, we're all into sports and competition. I think that's great, but there's so many different layers of of why the, of how this can be um, taken advantage of. Parents need something. I mean, they need they have these kids that are playing video games that they are struggling to engage with. And, I mean, and. I've, I've talked to parents, and they've said, "Well, I've got one. I've got one daughter. She plays volleyball. I take her to practice. I play volleyball with her. I engage with her constantly. But I've also got a son over here, and he just likes to play video games. And I've had moms tell me, this is the first time I've been able to show my support for my son, for what he likes to do. And I mean, those are the things that that need to be happening because." Um, we can just focus on the competition, but I think that balance is really, really important. Um, but the raising money, like um, like Gaitree said, to her point, there is there is going to be a lot of a lot of opportunity for for companies like mine. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping because I mean, there's there's about 250 to 260 thousand schools in the country, um, and these esports companies are not dipping into K through 12. They're they're going ninth grade to 12th grade, but you got to hit these kids as early as possible in STEM, and especially these girls. Like getting these girls comfortable, and then seeing how talented they are and how how intelligent they are at some of this stuff. Um, it's empowering for them, absolutely. So you got to hit them as early as possible. You got to empower parents to support this stuff and not be afraid of it and say, oh, well, these are the kids that that build Facebook. These are the kids that build Twitter or these are the kids that build driving automation systems and, you know, things like that. These are those kids and they need they need to be engaged just like traditional athletes um, educationally, not just from a competition standpoint. So, but yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I think it's great that there are other companies out there that are raising money. I think it's really, really great. But we we have to make sure that as we're attacking this whole esports industry, that we're not missing these these opportunities. And there's a lot of different opportunities. It's not just about the competition. Yeah, and Kerwin, I I appreciate you making um, a lot of those comments that you made. And I just what resonated with me is as a parent. 
Um, one is you want your child to engage in something. And you're right. There are some parents who have children who are great at sports they're, or they're great in school. Uh, but sometimes their kids are still trying to figure out what they love, what their passion is. And you need an on-ramp to help you bring that genius out of your child or at least get them where they're confident enough or they believe in themselves enough to take something on. And so I, I believe what you're doing provides an additional on-ramp for parents as we are encouraging our kids to get into any and everything and at least try. And your competition is the fabric of America might be my quote, <laughs> quote of the day. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to go back to something Gaitri said um, you know, what? in full disclosure, when we were looking for an expert for your show, it was actually really challenging. Um, and partly, I think, because there's so many components to what, what um, Elite Gaming Live has and does. You know, we talked about, you know, you're piquing the interest of kids in STEM. You're using e-gaming as a backdrop. You're providing, you know, again, that on-ramp for uh, soft skills training and onboarding and competition. Um, and so I want to kind of go back to a point earlier that was made around the messaging and, you know, really get from Gaitri the right balance, right? How, how can Kerwin really balance his messaging for parents as well as for others who are looking at the industry and they're looking at, you know, you mentioned crypto and blockchain, you mentioned e-betting. What's the right balance in terms of the messaging for Kerwin? Yeah, I think the messaging, it depends on whom you are sending the message. Like if he is giving the message through a podcast or a public forum, it has to be generalized what the demography of the people over there and see that what interests them. Definitely he has to talk about social innovation and the kind of shift that he's seeing that Elite Gaming Life is bringing into the system that people who are uh, nerdy, they are getting connected uh, with the more popular kids and having much more um, social interactions, developing their soft skills. I think that's a great message. And people want to, I mean, parents want their kids to have those soft skills because at the end of the day, whether you're an entrepreneur, an investor, or just doing your desk job in your office, you need to have those social skills. Whether even you're pitching to your boss for a certain project, you need to have a strong social skill in order to survive in the world. And I think those are the skills that are not taught in our schools. So I think having that opportunity laid out very clearly in a public forum, is, it's very, very important. And at the same time, I think the opportunity of the STEM system and opportunity for having a gaming system, which is so closely associated with the schools, areas and uh, the parents' um, interest, I think that's one of the, another important message for him. Um, also, the fact that he is doing this not just um, in an opportunity that, okay, I'm going to make money and we will be building just a billion-dollar company, not just like that, but he is doing his job from a very, very ground level. He already has attraction. It's not like he just has an idea and a white paper out there and raising money. He already has attraction, and I think it's very important to have a little more analytical approach to the difference of people's mentality and the students' mentality who are coming on board, what they were thinking, what their outlook was, what their social skills were, and how that has changed in the course of time. 
midfield while playing this game. I think having a little bit more quantitative approach to that will be great when you're pitching to the investors or sponsors. And people want to see that shift that's happening um, among the students and also how many girls are participating, how many girls are winning. I think those statistics will be very, very important and resonate well with the sponsors and investors. Yeah, we we appreciate that, and, and I'd be re- remiss if I didn't say to you, Gaitri, we really appreciate you being on the show, and when we saw your background, the diversification of industries that you worked in, obviously being an early entrant in this field, uh, and just showing yourself as a visionary, we really appreciate and I think are lucky to have you on uh, with Kerwin at the time. Um, well, I just want to give you an opportunity also to talk more about SportsFest, your portfolio, and what SportsFest is looking in, um, looking in for companies as they uh, look at investing. Yeah, sure. I think uh, SportsVest, we consider ourselves uh, a venture capital fund where we want to infuse more and more technology in traditional sports and also encourage esports, fantasy sports, high-tech sports, and crypto blockchain sports to grow in the market. Our main mission is to create a new asset class, uh, consider sports as a new asset class, and help to build the sports economy from $500 billion to a trillion-dollar market. We have looked at, like as I said before, like 20 use cases. And we see there's a huge shift from the legacy media content like ESPN, Sky, to tech giants like Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix. And that's going to drive the sports digital content market valuation. And there are various other use cases also, like sports fans able to invest in sports franchises through ICOs. Like we have Green Bay Packers, which has a model where it's a nonprofit model where people can participate and be a part of that community sports team. But I think with ICOs and blockchain, we will see much more decentralized approach where with a token, you have opportunity to have a very diversified portfolio in the sports industry. And I think there are certain use cases that we have identified that doesn't even exist. And I would love to talk about those use cases like crypto kitties in sports. Uh, basically, it's a non-fungible token option and having a market like merchandise and memorabilia in the baseball cards and stuff like that, if you have that in a form of a digital collectible sports market, um, in I think it's, it brings out a different valuation. We haven't seen any companies doing something like that. VR, AR market is huge, and I think it will bring a new fan engagement, wearable tech, fitnesses, drone technology, also, ticketing system. I think we are very bullish about the ticketing system. There's one company named Tari. They're working on it by putting the ticketing system on blockchain. I think more we see this high-tech emerging technologies coming into the sports, we'll be seeing a very different um, asset class of sports coming into the market. And the idea, like having something like a ticketing system where you can fully track a single ticket of what happened, and which you are unable to do it right now. I think it's a very new business model and very new economy that we are trying to infuse in the sport. And our idea is not just investing into sports companies. We want to be strategic partners and help them grow. 
we'll not be investing in many companies. We'll be investing in few companies, but idea is to help them grow. I think those are very important. And we look at things into the sports industry like how we can grow the economy. And one of our best part of our investment thesis is that we are not going to just invest in a traditional NAV model, but we are working on our investment thesis where we'll be investing in ICOs in an enhanced NAV measurement. And I think that's something that did not exist before. And we are bringing this new concept, like with power law sales, Calvin filters, and brand equity algorithm, we are building a new enhancement NAV measurement. And we think this will be the norm in the future in the venture capital industry, where the typical traditional NAV system will not be enough in order to gauge where you want to invest. So you need to have a strong mathematical model when you're investing in blockchain companies or emerging tech industries. That's awesome. I mean, I think you bring up a number of different points there and talking about kind of how blockchain and so forth is changing the sports industry and, you know, maybe even some of those ideas cross over into what Kerwin is building. But I hear you I hear you're under underlying a couple of really important points. And one is about kind of really growing a particular space and being deliberate about that and also doing it in a way that has a social impact that is kind of thoughtful and planned out. Um, and from the perspective of Christina and I, I also very much appreciated you saying um, hats off to tracking metrics and being more thought, thoughtful <laughs> about um, data and where that's going. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these are the use cases that we have worked for months before even thinking about that we will launch a VC fund. I think it's very important that I tell every entrepreneur that look at the use cases before you even think about jumping into the market. Because unless you know your use cases, you cannot create a product, you cannot create a technology, you cannot create a fund. Because these are the use cases that you want to invest in. These are the use cases that you want to bring in front of your consumers and that's going to help uh, build the economy or build the market. And what you pointed out, too, about strategic partners that are there to help you grow. And so I think that was a, a great point to make about where SportsVest is not only putting their money, but their time. Um, and so we appreciate that. Yeah. And just also just thinking Thank you. through, you know, how you can add value to Kerwin today. So, again, we echo the the thanks very much. Um Kerwin, before we go, tell our tell our listeners, tell our audience how they can find you, how they might be able to get involved, or or what might how might they be able to you know, support what you're doing in whatever aspect. Sure. Um, so EGL Elite Gaming Live can be found on Twitter. It is at Elite Gaming Live. Uh, we can also be found on Facebook by the same name, Elite Gaming Live, and on Instagram we are EG Live. And I think. Uh, something that would be really powerful uh, from this conversation would be for parents to kind of to kind of engage with us. Uh, we don't really have an issue getting large numbers of kids, thankfully, um, but we like to hear from parents and we like to engage with parents to kind of hear more about their their children, their kids, and the schools that they attend. Um, and then we also like to to drive home a conversation of well. This is something that would you think would be helpful for your student. Um, the parents are the most powerful voice um, in in helping EGL get into a school um, because they, I mean, PTAs and things like that. They have a really, really strong uh, voice of influence uh, 
for school leaders and superintendents and school systems in general. So um, if there there are parents, we'd love to engage with you, even if it's um, just general discussion on the results we're seeing and things like that. We can, again, be reached on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. So, parents, if you want to give some feedback and or get Elite Gaming Live <laughs> to your school, reach out to Kerwin. <laughs> Gaitree, how can people find you? What's the best way to connect and learn more about SportsVest or other things that you're up to? Sure. would love to share that. Uh, but uh, before that, I would like to say that we are a U.S.-based company, but we are a global team. Our team is in U.S. Ireland, UK, Europe, Singapore, and New Zealand. We have four general partners. You can reach me on Twitter at GS underscore VC activist, or you can reach me on LinkedIn, Gaitri Sarkar, or just send me an email. It's uh, Gaitri, G-A-Y-A-T-R-I, at sportvest, dot I-O. And SportVest is also there on Instagram, um, on Telegram, um, so you can find our company. I think once we um, close our fund, currently we're in the process of fundraising, we will be starting our investment. We are already looking at multiple deep flows and very excited to be a part in this space. Wonderful. I'm so glad to have you guys involved. This was really fun. And I learned a ton, I got to say. I really did. I, I didn't know that much about esports, and I think it's so important. And I, um, having had a son that went through, um, you know, high school and now is actually one of those adult gamers that you talked about and also uses it to keep up with friends from college and so forth, I think, you know, I have a better appreciation of that. So thank you from a personal side of things. And, and I think what was so interesting today is that we talked about those soft skills as they combine with STEM. So... Kerwin was really underscoring the importance of those soft skills, but also to be appreciated for the technical side of things and then building those soft skills in a, in a, um, in a sports arena, but not, not just traditional sports. So this is kind of new and interesting. And then marrying that with um, really kind of building that pipeline of talent. So everything that Elite Gaming Live, I want to say EGL is doing is so exciting and (laughs) inspiring. So thanks for sharing all of that with us. I think we talked too about, yeah, yeah, really cool, about the messaging, particularly as some um, perhaps parents or others who don't know think about the esports industry or the e-gaming industry just in the the, uh, areas of either gambling or kind of violent games and there's a lot more there right it's not just that and certainly there's it's just just much much broader um, thinking about those kinds of things and then also thinking about tracking and metrics looking at some of that information about girls in gaming women in gaming and and understanding that that's coming coming to and really um, making the option available for folks who are interested in gaming to learn more. And so the Elite Gaming Live platform has the ability to, but not the obligation to take part in these STEM modules. Really interesting. Um, Kerwin talked about the results, that it's really been helping kids who are struggling in schools, helping kids who have behavior change in the classroom, having the parents stay more engaged. And on top of all of that, then learning more about STEM interest. We talked about some sponsorships and Gayatri reminded us multiple times to really, you know, use not only know those use cases, but also really get good at telling the story, 
which uh, Zena reminds us about every week as well. Really kind of having that messaging in mind and thinking about that and really making sure that it underscores in, in all of the messaging, the social innovation model, that this is really unusual and it is really about making change and it's really about supporting these kids to do what they need to do, whatever that might look like in the future. Um, Gayatri also talked a little bit about kind of the changes within the industry where things are going and what her um, VC, what her venture firm is doing. And we talked a little bit too about kind of just tracking metrics and how important it is. Lots of important things we covered today, and we're so glad to have you with us on the show. Don't miss an episode of Get Found, Get Funded. You can also find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook, and check out our website at getfoundgetfunded.com.